This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on insurance. Today I'd like to talk about hurricanes and insurance coverage. The United States District Court for the Southern District of Mississippi, Southern Division, entered an important decision with regard to water damage and insurance policy coverages raised after Hurricane Katrina. In Leonard v. Nationwide Mutual, a 2007 decision of the Fifth Circuit, the first of the Katrina cases to go to trial, the court found that the Leonard's residence was not covered by any policy of flood insurance at the time of the storm. Flood insurance is available to anyone, regardless of which flood zone their residence is situated in, yet the plaintiffs did not purchase it. They purchased only a common homeowner's policy from Nationwide. The evidence presented at trial conclusively established the following points. That on August 29, 2005, the entire area surrounding Pascagoula, Mississippi, including the Leonard residence and its surrounding neighborhood, was subjected to violent winds in excess of 100 miles per hour. These winds increased gradually in the early morning hours and reached a peak of intensity between 9 a.m. and noon. Water from the Mississippi Sound was driven ashore by the storm, and the water level in the Leonard neighborhood rose to a peak level between 11 a.m. and noon. At its highest point, the water inundated the Leonard residence to a depth of approximately five feet. The Leonard residence is approximately 12 feet above sea level. This property is 515 feet from the beachfront to the south. The inundation of the ground floor of the Leonard's residence caused extensive damage to their floors, carpets, walls, and personal property. The second floor of the Leonard's property was not damaged. The physical damage to the roof of the Leonard's property consisted of a small number of broken shingles, and the watertight integrity of the roof was not breached during the storm. The attached garage at the Leonard's property was also extensively damaged during the storm. The only wind damage on the ground floor of the Leonard's residence was a hole in one window that witnesses described as golf ball-sized. The exterior of the Leonard's home and the attached garage were soiled by a combination of wind-driven materials and waterborne materials. Based on the findings of fact established by evidence at trial, the court concluded, quote, The provisions of the nationwide policy that exclude coverage for damages caused by water are valid and enforceable terms of the insurance contract. Similar policy terms have been enforced with respect to damage caused by high water associated with hurricanes in many reported decisions, close quote. The judge did not totally deprive the insureds of coverage. He noted that under applicable Mississippi law, 
In a situation where the insured property sustains damage from both wind and water, the insured may recover that portion of the loss that he or she can prove to have been caused by wind. Nationwide is not responsible for that portion of the damage it can prove was caused by water. The final judgment, therefore, was for wind damage and was less than $2,000. After the trial, the case was appealed to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal, which affirmed the decision of the trial court, yes, disagreed with the methods used. The fatal flaw, the court, the Fifth Circuit stated, in the district court's rationale, is its failure to recognize the three discrete categories of damage at issue in the litigation. One, damage caused exclusively by wind. Two, damage caused exclusively by water. And three, damage caused by wind concurrently or in sequence with water. The classic example of such a concurrent wind-water peril is the storm surge flooding that follows on the heels of a hurricane's landfall. The only species of damage covered under the policy is damage caused exclusively by wind. But if wind and water synergistically cause the same damage, such damage is excluded. Thus, the Leonard's money judgment was based on their roof damages solely caused by wind. Contrary to the court's damage matrix, however, they also proved that a portion of their property damage was caused by the concurrent or sequential action of water or any number of other enumerated waterborne peril. The policy clearly disallows coverage. Close quote. This decision will obviously make it more difficult for plaintiffs with damaged property to avoid the effect of concurrent cause exclusions when wind, water, storm surge, or mold occur with excluded causes to result in loss. In Tupiker v. State Farm, another Fifth Circuit decision, this one from 2007, the Fifth Circuit affirmed the majority of the trial court's decision and an important and far-reaching conclusion interpreting insurance policy coverages in wake of a catastrophe. Judge Center, the trial court judge, concluded, quote, As to the damage caused by wind, there is coverage under the provisions of the State Farm policy because destruction of the insured dwelling by a windstorm, including a hurricane, would constitute an accidental direct physical loss and would therefore be due to a covered peril. Thus, to the extent that the plaintiff's property was damaged by wind or by objects propelled by wind, the State Farm policy covers the loss. This is also true of damage to personal property inside the insured dwelling caused by rain that entered plaintiff's house through breaches in walls or in the roof caused by hurricane winds. Losses directly attributable to water in the form of a storm surge are excluded from coverage because this damage was caused by the inundation of plaintiff's home by tidal water from the Mississippi Sound driven ashore during Hurricane Katrina. 
This is water damage within the meaning of that policy exclusion. The exclusion found in the policy for water damage is valid and enforceable policy provision. Indeed, similar policy terms have been enforced with respect to damage caused by high water associated with hurricanes in many reported decisions. Because the adjective physical is defined as having material existence, mold spores undoubtedly have a material existence, even though they are not tangible or perceptible to the naked eye. Therefore, mold contamination constitutes a physical loss within the meaning of a policy, and assuming all other policy conditions are met, the cost of removing mold from a property or of replacing personal property may be recovered under a property policy. The Fifth Circuit found, however, that the anti-concurrent cause exclusion was enforceable and reversed the part of the trial court decision determining the exclusion did not apply. Under Mississippi law, the judge concluded that where there is damage caused by both wind and rain, covered losses, and water losses excluded from coverage, the amount payable under the insurance policy becomes a question of which is the proximate cause of the loss. This is, of course, subject to the evidence presented at trial. In a case called Judy M. Geis versus State Farm, the trial court was required to resolve a coverage issue relating to damages to property in Mississippi. The judge noted that the plaintiff's principal residence in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, was completely destroyed during Hurricane Katrina on August 29, 2005. She maintained a homeowner's policy of insurance issued by State Farm and in due course filed a claim for, among other things, the loss of her dwelling including dwelling extension benefits, personal property, and additional living expenses because the home was uninhabitable. State Farm denied her claim because damage to her property was caused by wind and flood water. It paid $11,466.39 for the wind damage and declined to pay for any other damages caused by flood. The coverage decision is easy in a case in which only one proximate cause of loss is shown and the cause is excluded, such as ocean water. In such cases, the flood exclusion has been held to apply. The efficient proximate cause doctrine is followed by many states, including Louisiana. This doctrine, where it is followed, holds that it is sufficient to show that the particular peril was the efficient cause of the loss, notwithstanding that another cause or causes contributed to the loss. In some other states, like Texas, it is held instead that where a covered peril causes the claimed loss, it does not matter if some other, perhaps excluded cause, was the legal or proximate cause of the loss. Also in Texas, however, other courts hold that the flood exclusion will be literally applied, meaning that where at least part of the claim damage is caused by flood, then the flood exclusion applies, 
excluding such identifiable damages can be shown to have been caused by flood. Each case should and will be decided on its own particular facts to determine whether the damage is due to mold, water, wind, flood, or some combination of multiple causes. The damage done by covered causes should be paid for and the courts will order payment. The damage done by non-covered causes like flood will not be covered, and insurers will obtain judgments that confirm they need not pay for losses, the risk of which they did not take. The insured is also obligated to mitigate any damages especially when dealing with things like mold infestations. For example, the Ballard-Allison case that resulted in an initial $32 million verdict reduced to less than $5 million on appeal against the insurer is an example of the failure of an insured to mitigate damages. Evidence was prevented presented that revealed that the mold problem could be remediated for approximately $100,000, but the Ballards refused to do so when their insurer refused to pay the claim they presented. Even after an appraisal award showed the cost of repair exceeded $1 million and the insurer paid that amount, although it was three times its limit, Fire Insurance Exchange claimed Ballard did not remediate the damage. As a result, the mold spread and the damage to the structure and its contents increased to a claim of over $12 million. Fire Insurance Exchange, in its petition for review to the Texas Supreme Court, presented facts not necessarily described in the Court of Appeal decision because the trial court refused to allow the evidence to be presented to the jury. These facts included, between December 1998 and September 2000, Ballard filed 14 water damage claims under the fire insurance exchange policy, insuring her 7,400-square-foot home in Dripping Springs, Texas. Fire Insurance Exchange promptly investigated all of them and worked actively with Ballard to seek a resolution. In Ballard's own words, the exchange claims personnel were intricately involved from the get-go of the claim. They would point me in the direction of who would bid, reviewing the bids, developing the scope of work, checking to see if there were ongoing leaks, so they stayed very much involved with the claim process. Despite these efforts, Ballard was dissatisfied with the amounts tendered by the exchange to settle the claim. By the weight of precedence and policy conditions, the insured has a duty to mitigate covered losses, either by preventing them or minimizing their extent. The requirement to mitigate is not only common sense, but also a condition of most property insurance policies. For example, in Monastere v. State Farm, a 2009 decision of the Fifth Circuit, 
That circuit concluded that in the wake of Katrina, mitigation of mold damages was impractical, if not impossible, but still refused to provide the plaintiffs more than they were paid. For example, the commercial property policy, form CP00180695, provides as a con loss condition that the insured must do the following, quote, take all reasonable steps to protect the covered property from further damage and keep a record of your expenses necessary to protect the covered pro property for consideration in the settlement of the claim. Also, if feasible, set the damaged property aside and in the best possible order for examination. Close quote. The duty to mitigate can be seen in a sue and labor clause usually found in marine and inland marine insurance policies. A sue and labor clause provides a form of indemnity separate from the main insuring clause and requires the insured to take steps to prevent or minimize an imminent covered loss. In American Home versus J.F. Shea, a 1978 decision of the District Court for the District of Columbia, the court discussed the function of the separate coverage because this provision primarily benefits the insurer by limiting its exposure to liability. The insurer must reimburse the insured for the cost of mitigation, even if the policy will not otherwise cover those expenses. This video was adapted from my book, Mold Claims, Volume 2, which is available as both a Kindle book and as a paperback from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be interesting or useful to you or your colleagues, please pass it on. It's free. And please also subscribe to my YouTube channel and my Rumble channel, clicking on the like and the Rumble buttons as you do. And also subscribe to my blog, my Substack publication, and my Locals community so that you can learn of future videos and future publications. Thank you for your attention.